When someone does you a favor, you've got to do them a favor back, right? Well, we'll talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembree. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible for the 32nd time. It's very exciting. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? So I'm going to be taking a look at how clothing and textiles played a major role in the story of David. Ryan? Today I'm responding to a very common objection that goes something like this. How could King David, a man of many sins, be regarded in the Bible as a man after God's own heart? Actually, there are a lot of problems with King David's story, but it's anyway, I don't want to get into that because I'll reveal it, but that's very, very interesting, Ryan Janice. Today, goodness and mercy. All right, get your Bible out. That's the most important book of all. And the Bible guide, turn to today's passage as we look at what God is going to say to us right now. First Samuel 23, verses 1 through 11. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines, and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened, when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come down to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. First Samuel 20, 21, 22, and 23 is what we read today. It is really interesting. Now, most of us believe that when we do someone a favor, well, 
They owe us one. But life isn't always like that. And we often must deal with others who do not have good intentions towards us. God desires us to involve him and his ways into our relationships. And we are not to seek revenge for ourselves. Remember, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Involving God in our relationships is a way we can show Christ to others. In our scripture reading today, King David was running from his own people and from King Saul. Evil was rampant. Evil was raging. And David could not count on common sense or help from anyone he encountered. Now that is the reason that David sought the Lord so much in his decisions. This is the reason we must also seek the Lord in everything right now. Beloved, we need to hear that. We need to say, Lord, I need to seek you in my decisions. All my relationships must be aligned with you. Help me to do that. Now, uh, if you have a Bible guide, turn to today's passage, 1 Samuel 23, 1-11. If you don't, here's how you can get one. You can write to us. The address is at the bottom or call us and order one. Or you can actually just go online and for a donation in any amount, make a donation. We'll send you a Bible guide. And uh, it'll take you to a page where you can download the guide on, in PDF form and join us in seconds. You're literally seconds. I always say it. You're literally seconds away from joining us. And it's true. Today, a good deed does not deserve another. Father, help us. Lord Jesus, we need to know. We need to know the meaning of this because, Father, we pray that, you know, we try to do well to people expecting to be treated well back. But, Father, that's not what you said. You said, do well, treat others like you want to be treated. And you never promised us a good reward, but you just told us to do what we have to do because you will supply in us through the Holy Spirit all of the work necessary. And Father, if we're hurt, if we're damaged in the past, it becomes a, somewhat of a challenge for us. But help us to see that there's nothing that you cannot heal us from. You can heal us from everything. It may take time but you're going to heal us from everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the scripture as we focus on this. First Samuel 23, beginning with verse one, it says, then they told David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing and threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Interesting. You see, David made his first order of business to ask God what his will was for the city. What is his will for the city? Beloved, we should always pray and ask for God's direction in our decisions. We're going to make decisions today. We're going to do things today. And may we do the things God desires us to do, not what we want to do or what we feel is right. There's much discussion today on, well, I feel this and I feel that. Well, that's interesting, but I feel a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily make it truth. We've got to focus on what God desires because he's the one who tells us the truth in all of our feelings. Very important to hear that. Well, let's go on to the next scripture. Here it is. 
But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah, very important. Second point, David followed God's instructions, not the man's. He followed God's instructions, and they successfully defeated the enemy. Beloved, as we follow God in obedience to him, he directs our paths in victory through Christ Jesus. As we follow God in him, he directs our victory in success over our enemies. Beloved, we need to hear that. Help us, Lord, to hear that today, because if we don't, that becomes a problem. Now, that's interesting. Let's keep that in mind. Now, let, let's look at the next verse, because this is interesting, 6 through 11. Here we go. Now, it happened when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Interesting that he thinks God did that. Fascinating. For he has shut himself in by entering into a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. And here's his question. Listen carefully. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Fascinating. David's asking God. He's not asking the men, but he's asking God. Oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. <laughs> and this is so fascinating because, and the Lord said, four words, he will come down. That is amazing. David looked to God to find out if he was safe to stay in Keilah. You see, God knows our future. We should ask for his direction. God knows our future, beloved. We should ask for his direction. God knows what we're going to do today. God knows where you're at right now. I don't, but God does. God knows exactly what you're going to do today. I don't, but God does. God knows exactly who's against you. He knows exactly who's for you, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. So does it make sense? to ask the one who knows everything about the decisions you make in your life. I would think it would. Very important. Now, you have to believe that the Lord's going to talk to you, but God will speak to you in the way that he decides. And as you read the Bible and as you pray, the Lord will reveal to you how to respond in your business, how to respond in your work, 
how to respond at home, how to respond to your friends, and you will grow an ability to follow Christ. And in doing so, you will show the Lord Jesus Christ to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, or to the people who work for you, because that's what God desires to do. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today I'm responding to a Bible question that has been asked by both critics and Christians alike, and that is this. How could King David, a man of many sins, be regarded in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, and one whose heart was perfect before him? Well, let's take a closer look at the relevant passages. Due to its offensive nature, many attempts have been made to discredit the Bible as the Word of God. For example, critics ask how King David, a man of many sins, could be regarded in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, and one whose heart was perfect before him. In both 1 Kings 11.4 and 15.3, we read that David's heart was considered to be perfect before the Lord. And according to 1 Samuel 13.14 and Acts 13.22, God also considered David to be a man after his very own heart. It is very true that even before David became king of Israel, he had committed several sins and offenses to his discredit, such as his deception of the high priest Ahimelech, which resulted in the massacre of nearly every priest in the city of Nob by the agents of King Saul. Most famously, David is known for his affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. How then could David, a man of such iniquity, be credited with a perfect heart? First important to note is the Hebrew word used in 1 Kings 11.4 and 15.3. It is shalem, which has been translated as perfect in the King James Bible, but can also be rendered as wholly devoted or fully devoted, since the word's basic meaning is complete, whole, sound, finished, or even at peace with someone. Also, the scriptures reveal that one is not required to be completely sinless in order to be one after God's own heart. If this was so, then no one could be considered as such, since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the main reasons David was considered a man after God's own heart was because his central purpose was to glorify God and not himself. The glory of God, the will of God, and the loving fellowship of God were what mattered most to him. David knew how to trust God's grace and forgiving love enough to confess and forsake his iniquity in an attitude of true repentance. So we see here that for us to be considered one after God's own heart doesn't mean we're living free from all sin. If that was what was required, then no human on earth could be considered as such, since as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And John the, the Apostle reminds us in 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now that being said, even though we aren't perfect people this side of heaven, God does expect us to live godly lives, lives that are pleasing to Him. God's grace isn't a license to sin. Rather, His grace is meant to bring us to repentance and not to keep living a lifestyle of sin. And we see this attitude in David. 
David doesn't make excuses for his sins or belittle them. Instead, he understands the severity of what he's done, and that produces godly sorrow that leads to repentance. As the Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer pointed out, Psalm 32 reveals what unbearable agony David went through after the affair with Bathsheba until finally the prophet Nathan came to him and condemned his crimes in the name of the Lord. Now, a lesser man would have flared up against this daring prophet and had him put to death. But one of the greatest assets in David's character was his ability to receive rebuke, to acknowledge his utter sinfulness, and to cast himself on the mercy of God to forgive him, cleanse him, and restore him to holy fellowship once more. So here we have an example, not of an error or contradiction, but of the amazing mercy of God and how we too can be people after God's own heart. We have to accept the idea that we're not right, that we're wrong. And how many times do we say, well, no, you did this, you did that, you did this. But there are times, most of the time, when we've made mistakes and we have to repent of them. Mm -hmm. That's what repent means. Very interesting. Absolutely. Corey? All right. Well, in the ancient world, uh, humans had a different relationship with their clothing than we do in the Western world today. Clothing, you know, today is wild, widely available and it's generally machine made, uh, both the actual textile, the fabric itself, and then the, the pieces of clothing. But in the ancient world, clothing represented a significant monetary investment as well as uh, a human time investment to make them. And because of this, it, clothing symbolized, you know, not only just their very humanity that they were able to have clothing, but also was made to symbolize different things like status. Now, when we get into the history of David and his kingship in Israel, there are several occasions that pop up that have to do with clothing, both the giving of clothing and also the ruining of clothing. So let's take a look at some of that significance. Clothing has always been an important part of the human experience, and its symbolic use in the Bible is powerful, though not always explained. From discovered tablets in a few ancient cities, scholars have translated cultural attitudes toward clothing that can be helpful in proper biblical understanding. Mesopotamian documents stress the importance of the hem of garments. The hem was more than a practical reinforcement of an outfit. It was decorated and matched the person's life status, rank, and social standing. In Mesopotamian culture, it was considered an extension of the person themselves. Therefore, any alterations or damages to the hem were important. For example, in pagan rituals of exorcism, pieces of the hem would be cut off and rituals done to them as if it were the person themselves. Pagan prophets of Mari would send small pieces of their hem to the king as a personal guarantee of their prophecy. And as the final act in Mesopotamian divorce, the husband would remove the hem of his wife, removing her status as married into his household. In the Bible, Israelites were commanded to add tassels to their hems that incorporated a single blue thread. These tassels, with their streak of expensive ancient color, were to remind of the status of Israelites as covenant people. There are also several instances of the hem of garments being removed in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul tears the hem of the prophet and priest Samuel. Samuel then tells Saul that God has likewise ripped the kingdom away from Saul. As you have ripped my identity, God has torn away yours. 
In 1 Samuel 24, David chooses to cut a piece of Saul's kingly hem in order to prove that he's not murderous, but once he does it, he's overcome with guilt. David will not try to take Saul's life nor his kingship as represented by the hem of his garment. Clothing as a whole also signified status and position. Take, for example, how only the priests were to wear linen ephods, or how a person's shoe could represent their responsibility in legal matters. Akkadian tablets from the 13th century record an instance of divorce between a king and his queen. Their son, the crowned prince, may also leave with his mother and forfeit his status as next in line to the king. If he leaves, he must remove his clothing and place it on the throne. His clothing is tied to his role as crown prince. In the Saul and David narratives, the first kings of Israel, this same concept is present. After Saul is decommissioned as king by God, Saul literally disrobes and falls before Samuel. This also helps explain the covenant between Israel's crown prince, Jonathan, and David. Jonathan disrobes and gives his clothing and armor to David, supporting David as the new crown prince of Israel. So I hope you can see that, you know, these instances involving clothing in the lives of Saul and David and Jonathan, they were recorded because they had cultural impact. They meant something uh, to, to the people of the time. And now this was just a small sampling. There are many more examples, even within the story of David, of where clothing plays a significant part. But beyond that, in the Old and New Testaments, this is an ongoing theme. So when Whenever you see clothing being specifically mentioned by the scripture, when you keep in mind its significance and its importance, there's often a deeper truth that would have been quite obvious to the original audience that sometimes is lost on us today. Very interesting, Corey. Excellent reports. Janice? <laughs> this is a really interesting chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 23. At the beginning of the chapter, we see David saving a city called Keilah. And then later on, when we get down to verse 14, David is being sought after by Saul, who's trying to kill him. And he heads out, it says, and David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness. And I began to read this and I wrote down, David has victory against the enemy, then has to run away from there because Saul's coming after him and he heads to the wilderness strongholds. But even when David is running from Saul, he's provided places of safety and encouragement in God. There's just a verse in here, verse 16, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. This is verse 15. And David was in the wilderness in Ziph. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But listen to this. Then Jonathan, Saul's son. Remember, as boys, they were the best of friends. They still are. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan said to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. And they made a covenant before God. Jonathan came to encourage his friend David in God. And oftentimes God will send someone when we feel like we're out in the desert, when we feel like we're running for our lives. God is there. God's presence is there. Now, 
the two places that I studied on here. He goes into the wilderness of Ziph. We learn that in verse 14 and 15. And then he goes to the wilderness of Maon. We learn that in verse 24 and 25. I decided to look up the meaning of the words Ziph and Maon. The wilderness of Ziph, Ziph means flowing. Maon, the wilderness of Maon, Maon means dwelling. And I thought, we're talking about King David here. And that reminded me of a very familiar psalm about things that flow and that uh, places where we can dwell. And David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, David says. And did you hear that about how God restores his soul? And David's wonderful Psalm 18 verses 1 to 3, talking about where his stronghold is. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn or the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. This is the same God rod that we serve today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there may be people who feel like they're in the wilderness. They may feel that uh, they're being chased after. But God is our stronghold. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. Hold on to Him. Cry out to Him. He is there for you. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we offer a time of prayer and showing and teaching and praying together. I invite you to join us 3.30, that's Eastern time or New York time in the United States of America. And we have people from all over the world. But today at the end of the program, we need to pray. Let's pray this way. Lord, Father, I must do things your way so people can see you in my life today. Help me, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.